Chapter Four of the Riddle of the Purple Emperor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. The Riddle of the Purple Emperor by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. Chapter Four: The House of Shadows. Constable Roberts did come on, and at a speed highly commendable, considering his portly build. Cleek, passing the long French windows through which he had obtained entry but an hour before, stopped to ascertain that they too were now bolted and barred. Snapping on their electric torches, they tore up the short flight of steps leading to the front door. "'Someone has made good use of their time,' Cleek whispered, as he thought how easily he had entered with Lady Margaret such a short while before. "'There's no use trying to force this door, and the windows are now shuttered and barred. "'The only thing to do is to try knocking them up.' "'A second later, Mr. Roberts sent a valiant peal resounding through the house, "'and both men listened tensely for any response. "'One, two, perhaps five minutes passed. "'The echoes of their blows had died away into silence.' and the flash of their torches showed to each of them only the other's strained, expectant face. Neither eye nor ear could detect any signs of movement within. "'How we're to get in beats me,' said Constable Roberts, with a frown puckering his bushy brows. "'We'll have to break in in the name of the law.' And as though that very name had in itself something of the supernatural, there came a sound, a rustle, a step within the house, and the nerves of both men were near to snapping point. They stood a moment listening, while the harsh grating of bolts being withdrawn into their sockets came to their ears, and in another second the great door swung slowly back upon its hinges. The mellow radiance of lamps streamed out and flung a circle of light round them. As it did so, a little gasp of astonishment came from both men, for in the doorway, gazing out on them in dignified reproof, stood an immaculate butler. Their hearts seemed for a moment to cease beating, and they stared in dumb amazement. It was Cleek who recovered his wits first. He turned to the butler with a perfectly impassive face. "'We want to see Lady Margaret Chain at once,' he rapped out sharply. "'At once, please.' The butler moved a little aside, as if the visit were the most ordinary one in the world. "'Her ladyship has retired for the night, sir,' was the surprising answer. I will see if the mistress, Miss Chane, will see you. Miss Chane, said Cleek sharply. Heavens, man, but she is dead, shouted the outraged constable before Cleek could stop him. This gentleman came to fetch me to view the body. In the name of the law, I am going to search the place. Staggered by the announcement, with staring eyes and dough-white countenance, the man fell back a pace, and, seizing the opportunity thus offered, Cleek stepped into the hall, closely followed by Roberts. "'This is preposterous!' ejaculated the butler at last, 
as if only just realising the gravity of the situation. Then, raising his voice, he echoed the last words, "'Miss Jane dead?' And then, a good many strange things had happened in the course of this night, but to Cleek it seemed as if the very earth had stopped in its course. The door of the room which he knew to be the dining-room opened with a little angry jerk, and in the doorway stood a figure that caused Cleek's heart to leap in his mouth. It was no less than that of the woman who had lain dead at his feet but a short time ago. It was Miss Chain herself. "'Miss Chain dead? What does this impertinence mean?' she demanded in a hard, shrill voice, at the sound of which the constable's ruddy face became purple with anger. He whipped off his helmet, and he pulled savagely at his forelock. "'Beg your pardon, Miss Chain, your ladyship,' he stuttered, "'for disturbing you, but this—' "'This individual,' he almost choked over his words, "'came and fetched me away from the nicest bit of supper I ever wants to see, "'to tell me you was a lying murdered, begging your pardon, "'and that Lady Margaret, whom he'd driven over in his car, "'was asleep alone in the empty house. "'More fool me to believe him, your ladyship, "'but you'd have done the same yourself in my place.' "'But I tell you—' began Cleek. The Honourable Miss Chain wheeled round on him, her eyes sparkling with anger. "'So!' she ejaculated, one hand pressed to her side, and Cleek found himself unconsciously recognising the rings which had flashed in the lamplight on the fingers of the murdered woman. "'So you are the impertinent stranger!' who inflicted himself on an ignorant, helpless girl, and caused me to miss my niece at the station. I drive back with the servants I had ordered from London, to find my niece sleeping in a chair. I have packed her off to bed, and as for you, sir, you are an impostor and a thief for aught I know. This last assertion Cleek took no notice of. But advancing toward her, he said firmly, "'I want to see Lady Margaret.' "'Indeed,' was the sarcastic reply. "'I am not aware that it is customary for strangers to intrude themselves upon people, even if they have been of some service. As far as you are concerned, sir, my niece's reputation has had every prospect of being blighted by your misconceived and misdirected attentions. I have no wish to intrude, or to make much of the trifling aid I was able to give your niece, madam, responded Cleek seriously. My name is Deland, and you can make what inquiries you like from my friend Mr. Maverick Narkom. "'superintendent of Scotland Yard, as to, er, uh, my general character, if you are at all doubtful about it.' A still angrier gleam shone in Miss Chain's eyes, and even as the words left his mouth, Cleek, with that queer sixth sense of intuition, felt that he had said the wrong thing. 
If there were anything wrong, then the very name of the law would set them on their guard. Miss Cheyne, however, seemed disposed to push her momentary advantage to its utmost. "'I don't care for fifty superintendents,' she declared angrily, looking back into Cleek's face with flaming eyes. "'You have no right to force your way into my house on any pretext whatsoever.' Indeed, I am not sure that I can't have the law on you for breaking in my windows this evening. It will cost me a pretty penny. But I should like you to understand that I won't have my niece disturbed by anybody. So if you can't explain your visit to me, I'll say good night and good riddance. As for you, policeman, you ought to be ashamed of yourself to come here and rouse me on such a nonsensical errand. She cut short Mr. Roberts's excuses, and practically drove the two men back, until they found themselves once more on the steps. Then the door slammed in their faces. Constable Roberts turned swiftly upon his companion, and commenced a pent-up tirade against him for having fetched him out on this wild goose-chase. Cleek stood still, pinching his chin with a thumb and forefinger, his eyes narrowed down to slits. Review the facts, however, calmly, he could still find no fitting solution. Sure he was that a dead woman had stared at him from the floor of that house, but he was also just as sure that the same woman had driven him out from it. And what of Lady Margaret herself? He had not a shadow of right to insist on seeing her. She was in the hands of her natural guardian. And yet, and yet, the shadow of doubt hung over him. He stopped short suddenly and sniffed in the air, much to the open-mouthed astonishment of Constable Roberts, whose grumbling remonstrances died away. "'Good Lord, man, sir, I mean—' he exclaimed agitatedly. But what's in the wind now? Scent and sense, my good fellow, said Cleek. There is a distinct odour of jasmine in the air, and an artificial scent, huile de jasmin, at that. It is a woman's scent, too, and some woman has been here to-night. She's been on these very stone steps. "'Well, what if she has? "'That don't excuse you a saying that Miss Chain is dead "'when she's no more dead than you or me,' "'retorted the constable heatedly. "'I shall be the laughing-stock of the country, "'fetched out like a fool!' "'Hardly listening to the stream of grumbling expostulation "'issuing from the mouth of Constable Roberts, "'Cleek bent down and sniffed again vigorously, he tested each step till he reached the gravelled path. All at once he gave vent to a sharp cry of triumph, for there, indented in the path before him, and revealed by the light of his torch, was the mark of a slender shoe, a woman's shoe, unmistakably. In a second they had passed the lodge gates and were out in the narrow lane, which was black as a beggar's pocket, and as empty. A placid moon shone over silent fields, 
and only the soft whir of the motor broke the silence as they sped along. Nevertheless, Cleek, as ever, was on the lookout. The sixth sense of impending danger, which was in him strangely developed, hung over him. Suddenly, with a little cry of surprise and a grinding of brakes, he pulled the car up with such a jerk that Roberts, who had subsided into a somnolent silence, was nearly thrown off the seat at his side. "'A dollar for a ducat, but I'm right!' he exclaimed sharply. "'There's someone on that side of the hedge!' Without stopping a second, he leapt down, cleared the low hedge as lightly as any schoolboy, and pounced on a crouching, running, panting figure. "'One minute, sir,' he began. Then his fingers almost lost their hold, as the face of a man in deadly terror gazed up at him, and from him to the majesty of the law, as embodied in the person of Constable Roberts. That worthy, having descended from the car, was now looking over the hedge. "'Look, sir, if it bain't Sir Edgar himself!' he ejaculated, and the sound of the evidently familiar voice seemed to pull the distraught young man together. "'Hello, Roberts,' he said, with a brave attempt at the debonair nonchalance which was his usual manner, an attempt that did not blind Cleek to the fact that his lips were trembling, and beads of perspiration standing on his pale forehead. "'What are you doing gadding around at this time of night?' "'Me, sir?' replied Roberts bitterly. "'I've been fetched out to see murdered women, and—' "'Not Miss Chain!' gasped the young man. A queer little smile looped up one corner of Cleek's mouth. "'Hello, hello,' he said mentally. "'Someone else knows of it, eh?' Here was somebody who, to his way of thinking, jumped to right conclusions too quickly. Why should Sir Edgar Brenton, as he knew this man to be, know that it should be Miss Chain, unless—and here— Cleek's mind raced on wings of doubt again, unless he himself had killed Miss Cheyne. And if so, who was this woman? As if from some distance he could hear Roberts's grumbling bellow. "'Miss Cheyne, Lord, don't you go for to say that you've got that bee in your bonnet too, Sir Edgar?' "'It is quite enough with this gent, Lieutenant Deland, "'a coming and fetching me away from my bit of supper. "'What my missus will say remains to be heard, as they says. "'Deed, no, Miss Chain's as live as you, "'and in a thundering bad temper.' "'Thank the Lord!' ejaculated the young squire "'in a low, fervent undertone. "'And what made you think, if I might be so bold, Sir Edgar?' "'That it was Miss Chain,' asked the constable curiously, voicing Cleek's unspoken thought. That gentleman cleared his throat before answering. <clears throat> "'It was just a chance hit, Roberts,' said he, but his voice held an odd little crabbed note in it. "'You see, you are coming straight from Chain Court, so it couldn't have been anyone else.' "'No, sir, come to think, it couldn't be,' assented Roberts. 
and Cleek, who had stepped back into the shadow of the hedge, twitched up his eyebrows as he sensed the relief that stole over Sir Edgar's face. "'A nice fright you gave me, too,' continued the young man, speaking more easily. "'I'm supposed to be at a political dinner-fight in London, you know, Roberts. Only just got back, in fact, and I didn't feel up to it, so when I heard that precious motor of yours I was afraid it might be some dashed good-natured friend, don't you know, and so I cut across the hedge.' "'Quite right, too,' assented Constable Roberts approvingly, in whose eyes Sir Edgar could do no wrong. Then to Cleek, "'Well, sir, I think we'll be moving, if you don't mind.' "'Indeed I don't,' Cleek replied, and then he addressed Sir Edgar. "'Sorry I startled you, sir. Took you for a poacher, don't you know? Perhaps you'll let me drive you through the village, if you're going this way.' He smiled with a well-feigned air of stupidity, put up his eyeglass into his eye, and lurched up against the young man as he spoke. "'Pleased,' mumbled Sir Edgar, and got into the limousine. Another two or three minutes' run brought them into the village, and here Sir Edgar insisted on alighting, and continuing his journey on foot. Cleek watched him go with brows on which deep furrows were marked. "'Wonder what made the young gentleman lie so futilely,' he said at length, as his shadow gradually merged in with the darkness ahead. "'Lie?' echoed the astonished constable, as he fumbled with the latch of his garden gate. "'Yes, lie, my friend,' flung back Cleek, his foot on the step of the car. He was running to the station, not from it. His clothes smelt strongly of the scent which pervaded the house this afternoon, namely jasmine, and, thirdly, there was a revolver in his pocket. A revolver is a thing no gentleman takes to a dinner with him, even a political one. And, leaving Mr. Roberts to digest this piece of mental food with his long-delayed supper, the car whizzed away in the moonlight. Cleek's first duty was to Ailsa, and he found her waiting for him, pale and expectant, at the little gate. "'Oh!' she cried, as the motor panted its way into silence. "'I thought you were never coming back. Where is she, dear? Where is that helpless child?' She hurried out, but Cleek flung up an arresting hand. I am either going mad, Elsa, or else there is a greater mystery here than I can fathom, he said quickly. Miss Cheyne herself was there to receive us, and— Miss Cheyne! echoed Ailsa, her eyes dilating, and apparently she was almost as shocked at this news of her evident existence as she had been a short while back by her demise. But, you said— her voice trailed away into silence, and Cleek took the words out of her mouth. She was dead. Yes, I certainly thought so, and I cannot understand it. Nevertheless, Miss Cheyne is there all right. Constable Roberts will vouch for that, and Lady Margaret is presumably tucked up safe and sound in her bed. But it is incomprehensible to me. "'Here's the story, if you care to hear it.' 
he gave a rough outline of his various discoveries, and at the end of it Ailsa nodded her head gravely. "'I cannot understand it either,' she said. "'I suppose nothing can be done, but I will go up to Chain Court early in the morning and see the child for myself.' Cleek smiled his approval. "'I wish you would,' he said. "'I must run up and see Mr. Narkom, and to-morrow, perhaps—well, who knows?' End of chapter 4